lady, you tell me you're recording something. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hello, world, I'm your lockout girl. It's misbehavior, general Welcome, listeners, to the Misbehavior Journal Club. I'm Amiel Marino, PhD, here with Leah Krevit, Banff. And we are two scientifically trained and certifiably funny females bringing you the behind the scenes look at the latest neuroscience research with humor, blueberries, and humanity. Yeah, we are. Hey, Leah. Hey. How are the berries going? They're frozen which is just the way I like them. But it's summertime. You can get them so fresh and so clean, clean. Maybe you can up, up <laughs> north. <laughs> uh, I Did pref- you know that Georgia is, is the largest producer of blueberries in the country? Wait, what? You're, yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not peaches. It's blueberries. Okay, I'm, I'm fully... Your face says you're joking. I'm not. You're, ser- you're serious. Okay, yeah. that blows my mind because Michigan... Wisconsin to a certain extent. I've always thought of Michigan as as blueberry land. But oh, okay. A thing can grow in more than one place, maybe. I'm saying this to Leah because she's in Georgia, like not just oh, yeah. like a random <laughs> fact about a random state. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Washington has a lot of s- strawberries and such, right? Am I? Yeah, according to Snow Falling on Cedars, that's, the book. I think that's how I'm talking about that and there's this sex scene. The only other thing I remember from this thing is there's a sex scene in the Japanese internment camps that involves a, a ball sack slapping against a, a woman's clitoris while in doggy style. And I had to stop reading. I had to take a little break. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> Speaking of things we read in high school English class, I was just reflecting over the weekend on the fact that we read the Canterbury Tales and uh, cuckold was a vocab word from that. And no. like, I cannot imagine that anyone in that class had any idea how relevant that word was going to be in the years to come. Question, what does it mean when it's not involved with sexuality? It's like somebody usurping your power? That sounds like the generalized version. I think it only really applies to having your spouse fucked by someone who isn't you. Uh, But yeah, you can be like, you took my property because that's what sex is. Because it's from the cuckoo bird pushing everybody else's eggs out of the nest and laying their own, right? You could tell me that and I would believe you. Oh, oh, yeah. It's a cuckold cuckoo bird thing. That's part of the derivation. No shit. Oh, well, now I'm wondering if I'm lying or not. I mean, that's what Google says. And I don't know why it would tell us anything other than the truth. Damn. Which is funny because birds are well known for their extra pair copulations. Yeah, they do that, don't they? Good for them. And you like test the eggs and you're like, that's not the man bird that took care of these eggs. (laughs) I know that usually for this segment, I, instead of talking about my own life, I talk about something that's happening in work or something, which technically is part of my life. But 
genuine personal insight here. I have become someone who, <laughs> when I'm craving something sweet, some just mm-hmm. like garbage to put in my face hole, the place where my brain goes is, oh boy, I have tea bags and frozen blueberries. I can blend up some blueberries in some tea. Like who you the blend fuck is them this? in? Oh yeah. What yeah. type of tea? Uh, green tea, just basic. Really? Yeah. That that's like antioxidant filled cocktail, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, did you add gin? I hate the taste and feeling of gin. Can't do You're it. You're not supposed to like it. Nobody <laughs> actually likes the taste of gin, Leah. Fun fact: In college, I thought that I hated rum and coke. I don't know why I made this assumption, but whenever I would make one for myself, I assumed it was 50-50. Um, one part rum and one part Coke. And I'm like, wow, I guess everyone just powers through this disgusting <laughs> concoction. Okay. That is a delicious snack that you've just brought up. I will tell my embarrassing adult version dessert that I've been going to is... I buy small containers of no sugar added applesauce, and I inevitably end up with a container of half-used graham crackers from recipes that don't involve me using the entire box. And so you get some of those, and you dip them in the applesauce, and it's a delicious semi-sweet treat. Classic, yeah. Grown-up kindergartner. Everyone is just clamoring for us to talk about sugar. (laughs) Um... I'm still doing the no sugar thing. It's good. I've had, I don't crave the sugar as much. And it's so weird when I eat it. It's not. It used to be like in the beginning of it, when I would have sugar, I would be amazed, my mind blown that, oh, my God, refined sugar. And now I, do, I look at it and I'm like, that's clown food. And <laughs> and I'm just, that's not for me. But when I taste it, I'm like, well, that's very extreme. Mm. Yeah. It's huh? cool. What the fuck? Yeah, so keep on going with those antioxidant shots. Good for you. Thanks. It it only developed into that because I was out of milk. Or I wasn't out of milk, but the milk I had was bad because I don't know if this has happened to you, but for the past several months, uh, anytime I buy milk or yogurt, it just goes bad quicker. Oh, a witch is coming. Oh, she's yeah. taking a long ass time. Oh, your milk is spoiling. I shall descend upon you soon. (laughs) That's as good a warning as any, I guess. So there's this big news event that I want to tell you about if we're done talking about our sugar consumption. I mean, are we ever? But hit me. So there was this research meta-analysis that came out this week. I was on my way to a date and uh, driving there. I set up a podcast to listen to. It was the BBC World News. Secret behind the scenes fact for Amiel, I like to listen to the BBC World News before going on a date, so I have intelligent things to talk about. Nice. Just load them up. It rarely, if ever, happens. (laughs) No, not the date, like us talking about intelligent. No, they're both sad. Okay. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) be. So I'm in the car, and they're talking about Syria, Ukraine, Sri Lanka, and then all of a sudden it pops in with 
some science coverage. I'm like, oh, wow. And they're like, so serotonin has been associated with <laughs> depression for the past several decades with numerous pharmacological studies, finding a connection between it and the popular drugs that influence reuptake of this neurotransmitter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to talk about it. Cool. So I'm, I'm almost at my place. And they're like, it turns out that there's brand new findings out of the College London that has turned this area of research on its head. Apparently, and then I find a parking spot. I'm like, I have to get out of my car now. <laughs> but I don't want to turn off the radio because they're finally there. Yes. So what it turns out is that there was a meta-analysis that came out in Nature that was looking at all of the studies that had to do with serotonin reuptake and depression and found no there is not a connection between the two with some studies saying there is and some saying there isn't. It just averages out to probably not. Okay, first of all, before we get into the serotonin, I need you to know that I was barely hanging on to the content of what you were saying because I was picturing it. I mean, I got it. I got we're we're Such good to a go. great co-host, people. <laughs> you can't have her. She's taken. <laughs> But the, the reason is that while you were saying it, I was picturing it uh, coming out of a goblin David Attenborough. It was very David Attenborough-esque. Yeah. Just I should have done know. Mary Poppins. You know, like I couldn't do a female voice. I had to go British and male. I don't know why I assumed it was male. It was just so similar to David yeah. specifically. You know, Dave, Davey. Dave. We call him Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Sir D. Well, not only that serotonin might not be as involved in depression, but that also serotonin reuptake inhibitors are not an effective treatment for depression. Like that's called into question too, which makes me really depressed. <laughs> Vicious cycle. Damn it. Um, I feel like such a jaded hipster ass whenever stuff like this comes out, because the headline is always like, oh no, everything we've known is wrong. <laughs> and the meat is like, that's not what we knew. Mm. Like, it was well over a decade ago. I don't know if it was reading or listening to, but uh I was absorbing some wisdom from a professor who was talking about the neurobio of depression and various serotonin hypotheses. And he was saying, you know, just because selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors can help maybe over time through unknown mechanisms, that doesn't mean that the initial problem was caused by excessively reuptaken serotonin or insufficiently produced serotonin. And specifically, he used the analogy, which is useful. A headache isn't caused by lack of aspirin. Mm hmm. I really want to just stop taking mine. Oh, I think mine does um, neuropinephrine as well. So uh, I'm getting that other thing too. Maybe that's what, because just straight up serotonin reuptake inhibitors hadn't really done it for me. And apparently you might not be alone. Uh, yay, yay science. The self-correction <laughs> of science. I always say, I say it whenever I get the chance, which is seldom, but like... Science is self-correcting, but, like, in the same way that vaginas are self-cleaning. Okay, what? There's you don't say... I've never heard you say that. And that's... I love vaginas, but you're making it sound gross. Why? 
Because you're implying that they aren't cleaning themselves. Okay, here's the thing. Like, <sighs> the flow... This can be Patreon <laughs> bonus. <laughs> there was some hand motions there. <laughs> Go on. The flow is in the right direction <laughs> toward cleanliness, but there's still some stuff you gotta do. Well, we keep on sticking stuff in there. It's our fault. Yeah, you gotta keep the wrong shit out of it, and you gotta, like, take some water to it once in a while. It's not just a set it and forget it situation. You're welcome. Good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to another breaking news item that popped up about Alzheimer's research and how amyloid beta plaques might not play a role or as significant of a role in the development of the disease as previously thought. Which, not to toot our own horn, but in the last episode in which we talked about Alzheimer's disease with um, Rachel, Mm -hmm. that came up. It was like, by the way, it's a hypothesis. It totally did. Yeah, because we were talking about that drug that was allowed to be uh, prescribed. You know, they allowed it to be released with uh, very little evidence of it being uh, helpful for people with Alzheimer's because they were desperate for some sort of treatment. But it addressed amyloid beta plaques, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so now with this new finding that some researchers were doctoring pictures of their Western blots. Yeah, it's pretty Fucking audacious. I know. And listener, I just, I'm so sorry that I didn't have time to look closer into this so that we could actually present it to you in like a news and noteworthy format. And I would love to do that for the next episode, but it's just too exciting not to mention here. Absolutely. And I think you did a very responsible thing of <laughs> waiting to present on it fully until you've like read about it more. Because you'd be surprised how easy it is to be underprepared to discuss literature. Okay, shared announcement time. Do our Patreon. We're doing some really fun things on Patreon. I just recently posted something that my ex-boyfriend is not going to want you to hear. So enjoy that coming up in August. You can get that bonus material with just two bucks a month. Just two dollars just to help us keep on going. I mean, so cheap. That's less than other things. (laughs) That wasn't worth saying. A rare podcast transposon has inserted the following audio. Hey, listeners. (laughs) You're about to... Yes? You're about to hear some stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Some discussion. I love most of it. Really had fun (laughs) with most of it. We did. We did. And here at the Misbehavior Journal Club, fun and accuracy go hand in hand. Don't they now? Or hand in tentacle. Yeah, but unfortunately they have a polyamorous relationship with chaos. (laughs) Yes. They really, really do. All right, so what happened? You know, what's one major interpretational error? In the grand scheme of things, I got the data right. Yeah. I got the methods right. 
We are having some fun. I got the background right. Uh-huh. Maybe I just kind of got the fundamental thrust of the entire paper backwards. Not a big deal. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> She's explaining it like it's horrible. It's not that it's, bad. It feels terrible. The- I know. I'm sorry. We're going to, right next to when she mentions what the research question is, we're going to put the correct one right there. And you will not become uneducated on the subject you're learning about. Thank you, Ahamia. I skimmed the paper too fast. Life lesson. Terrible idea. And I was like, I know what they're asking. I know what they're after. I know how to interpret these data. No, they had like plans and shit. All right. So be uh, ready for that. And, And just note how confidently... I present the <laughs> wrong argument and be disturbed by that because that's that's what really is messing me up here. Got it. Hey, do you want to talk about a feature paper? I don't know. What type of boring subject is it on? Octopuses, Amiel. Yay! My favorite animal. All right, let's, let's Ser- do wait, it. Seriously? It is my Are favorite animal. That? Yes. Oh, it yes. is my favorite of all of the animals. Favorite. Okay. All right. Uh, when I heard this was going to be a post-cruise episode, it's like, mm-hmm. I got to give you something to read on a cruise that makes you think of the life teeming below mm. your various escapades. Yeah. Octopuses. Nice. This paper is titled, Unruly Octopuses Are the Rule. Octopus vulgaris. Love that species name. Jesus fucking Christ. It's even better than Radis Radis. Mm, a favorite. Uh, yep. It's pretty damn good. <laughs> Octopus vulgaris. Use multiple and individually variable strategies in an episodic-like memory task. I cannot tell you how much I love the use of that term episodic-like memory. We will be getting into that. This first author is Lisa Ponce. Last author, Christelle José this comes to us out of Normandy University and the University Rennes in Caen and in France, if you couldn't guess. Yeah, that's right where we came over in the invasion, right where Normandy Beach is. It's a real bitch, the traffic getting into that university in the morning. Ah. Pillboxes everywhere. You have to duck all the jerrys. The j- yeah, constant challenge. I didn't say where this paper was published. Do you want to know why that is, Amiel? Please. It's because it's a preprint. <laughs> preprint. We're doing a preprint. Nice. What is, what's a pre? What's a preprint? When you are submitting your manuscripts to different journals, and you know it's going to take months, two years for it to get published, but you want to get the data out now, because why the fuck not? Because we're in the twenty-first fucking <laughs> century. And you buy a printing press. Mm-hmm. And you personally run a copy out. And you line up all the little boxes and correct letters, and then you roll the giant press with the crank handle, and you go, Heary, Heary, I did sciences. And then everyone yells at you, Witch! And throws things at you, and you're driven out of town. Yeah, the that part, the yelling and ostracism part, Like, that's going to happen anyway after your paper is published. So you may as well have that happen before the paper is published so you can incorporate those criticisms into the manuscript. They're filing the pitchforks. 
They're getting all of the stakes ready. Yeah, you may as well just speed up the process. Okay, cool. What do octopuses want? The, uh, crabs. When do they want it? Fuck if you're gonna know. <laughs> We're not telling. That is the theme of this paper, pretty much. Uh, this paper has a running title. The running title is Octopuses in an Episodic-Like Memory Task. Mm-hmm. If you were to give it a different running title, it, it might be, you know, uh, octopus pretty much do what the fuck they want. And we're working on sussing out what that is, but <laughs> Jesus Christ, is it hard. Yeah, Amiel, are you familiar with the marshmallow task? Yes. Tell me about it. Okay. It came up uh, when I had Nicole Davies on the show a while ago. And uh, it has been under a new light of scrutiny. But the marshmallow test is a way to measure somebody's or some animal's ability to ascertain the amount of reward that they could potentially get with a delay. I'm so glad you used that specific word, ability, because the question of how to frame behavior in terms of ability versus tendency, like... How do you assess what someone is capable of, Mm -hmm. judging by their behavior? Because half the time you might just be assessing their whims, their preferences. I'm glad you mentioned that the marshmallow task is being studied in a new light because, uh, yeah, one of those studies from like a a decade ago now was about how kids decide whether or not to wait for the marshmallow based on how reliable the marshmallow-providing adults are. If all the grown-ups are flakes, then they'll eat the first marshmallow and be like, I'm not going to wait around (laughs) for a second marshmallow that may never come. If dad went out to the store to buy cigarettes and never came back, that kid is eating the marshmallow. Yeah, like, listen, you say you'll be back with the marshmallow in 10 minutes, but I know how long it takes to get cigarettes. A marshmallow in mouth is better than two marshmallows in a bush. Truly! We may as well get to that now. So these authors are administering a task to the octopuses that are moderately analogous to the marshmallow task. I want us to have that framework in mind because Mm -hmm. they're discussing the octopus's ability to keep track of time. Mm -hmm. But this whole time, a set of perfectly valid alternative hypotheses involve just the octopus going, fuck you. I'm going to eat what I want when I want it. I am an inscrutable invertebrate and you'll never know. You know, they've got eight tentacles to flip you off with. (laughs) So yes, uh, why am I getting into the perception of time? Because this study used a framework where octopuses were either presented with a super tasty treat that would refill after like three hours Mm -hmm. or a less preferred treat that would refill after like an hour. This whole experiment was just revolving around which buffet they would go to and when. Okay. These researchers are trying to suss out how an octopus understands that replenishment time. Mm -hmm. And what they found was it's really fucking hard to do that shit because there's so much goddamn variation between octopuses and within octopuses from one trial to the next. Listeners, it's future Leah again here with a lot more um, insight and Have you lost weight, future Leah? (laughs) 
I've lost a lot of pride. And oh. if pride is heavy, then call <laughs> me... Twiggy. Tw- yep. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> um, my future sister-in-law saw a childhood picture of me, and she was like, wow, you were cherubic. And I was like, that is the <laughs> nicest way anyone has ever said that. <laughs> so yes, um, older, wiser, more verklempt. I presented this overall research question as glibly a question of whether the octopuses would pass the marshmallow test. Will they wait for the tastier treat that takes longer to refill? Mm -hmm. That's not their question. (laughs) (laughs) What's their question? Their question is very closely related, but fundamentally different. They wanted to probe the episodic-like memory of the octopus. So they were asking... Is the octopus actually able to learn and remember that of the two treat boxes, Mm, one mm -hmm. that's quick refill and one that's slow refill, the slow refill box is the one that contains the tastier treat. Gotta get that crab. It's kind of like if I had a bunch of friends over and I was like, and you do psychological experiments on them. As one does. Of course. <laughs> and Get into the Skinner box, Mark. <laughs> Who's Mark? It's the first fake name I could come up with. Uh, Don't look behind the curtain. <laughs> so if I had two friends over and they sat down on the couch and I went into the kitchen and got us drinks. And one of my friends said I'd like a soda. And the other friend said I'd like some tea. If I came out with one drink in my hand immediately which drink would it be uh it's not iced tea if it's hot tea it takes longer so the soda yeah end of thought experiment we know that different things take different amounts of time to appear in our world Mm -hmm. and Mm. this is an exploration of that sort of thing and now back to the show (laughs) my god my god so this is not going to be a satisfying paper where we found the neural correlates of self-control and preferences, and here's exactly how octopuses are different from cuttlefish. We're not going to get anywhere satisfying. Right. But some of us find satisfaction in chaos. So, right after I just denigrated all these efforts to find greater meaning <laughs> in behavior you do you i'm i risk should i start this off with a blanket statement that i really respect the authors and what they're trying to do here you're turning red now that you've remembered that they will be listening to this god i hope not. it's okay Um, they only speak french (laughs) so it doesn't matter what they think i i i (laughs) (laughs) how do i put this to me the data look like a pile of chaos but that's what data do that's the beauty of it and they're working on finding meaning in that and i support them in that endeavor but i think they would agree with me that this paper is one of the first steps in a long process of meaning making one of the things that preprints allow you to do is get input before you publish your paper so some of the input that can be provided to them will improve upon the chaos that you're seeing right now. 
that's one of the benefits of the preprint. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is this broader context that they're tying these data into? Well, it's kind of a big general question of how does intelligence evolve? Mm-hmm. How does intelligence like behavior evolve? Because all of our traits have evolved into being. Yeah. Nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution, mm-hmm. or also in the light of evolution, still no sense at all. But without it, extra no sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's the full quote. It usually gets cut off earlier than that. Yeah, people never... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just no context. Setting you up with unrealistic expectations of sense. Ugh, what a disservice. And that is one of the other things that I love about this paper is that they really tie in lab behavioral studies with the ecological niche occupied by the animal in the wild. So this is basically a study that is an exploration of similar findings in cuttlefish. I wish you were saying cuttlefishes Mm. and not cuttlefishes. Just just know in my mind, I'm pretending that they're very affectionate fish. They get a cute reputation. Even though they're not fishes, right? They're mollusks. They're wet things that aren't mammals. They're all <laughs> fish. <laughs> I'm so forgiving of you. <laughs> wow, yeah. Huh. Have I undergone a change of heart or am I arbitrary? Just knowing your nature, that's not something that I would predict, but I'm glad you are. Just know that I'm picturing a very affectionate fish. I want to let you have that. Thank you. Thank you for for giving it to me. (laughs) Back to mollusks. Cuttlefish, squid, octopuses, they are all the subjects of study of episodic-like memory. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is episodic-like memory? First of all, three magical words that I love so much. I love it when things get a like or a related put in there. little hyphen-like. Yeah. I love qualified shit. Mm. The caveat queen. (laughs) So yeah, episodic memory, episodic-like memory. It's just the basics of what, when, where, who, how it made you feel. Previously on Life. Yes! I love that so much. We've been studying various mollusks with respect to their ability to use and form such memories, but apparently cuttlefish have been enjoying kind of the bulk of study there. Previously on Cuttlefish. Could not have asked for a better setup. Uh, So previous cuttlefish work has done an experiment similar to this one where you have two stations, right? Mm -hmm. Two little food... Canisters. Yeah, that's a good term for it. Where uh, at two different locations where the cuttlefish can choose which to open and eat the contents of. You know, they can get shrimp at the shrimp station or crab at the crab station. Now, cuttlefish apparently prefer shrimp to crab, whereas octopuses, at least in this experiment, seem to have preferred crab to shrimp. Just a fun little flipperoo. I'm sure that somewhere... There's a listener saying, why the fuck is it important for me to know that cuttlefish prefer shrimp to crab and octopuses prefer crab to shrimp? But like, 
45 years from now, they're going to find themselves in a situation where that piece of information is going to be exactly what they need. We can only not hope. (laughs) Already, we're seeing a theme start to emerge. Differences between species. They eat different shit. They like different shit. So previous work with cuttlefish indicates... Previously on cuttlefish. If you set up a situation where they can get, you know, a less preferred reward now or sooner, like crab, Mm -hmm. or shrimp in three hours, they would wait for the three-hour shrimp. I'd wait for the three-hour shrimp. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like the name of a recipe. It does. And so that... Never cook shrimp for three hours. I mean, there was a there was a Family Guy fake commercial for a very fast shrimp. That's the. I don't remember that one. It was it was a quick commercial. It was just deep deep deep. De- de- <laughs> it was just about. Do you want shrimp? We got it. Here, fast shrimp. Da da da. No, that yeah, that was it. That's pretty okay. much exactly it. Hurry up, shrimp! Hurry up, shrimp! Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, shrimp! Not responsible for undercooked shrimp. So in those studies, they were assessing cuttlefish memory and kind of the foraging strategies that a cuttlefish may or may not use when deciding what to eat and where to get it. What they found was cuttlefish are pretty good at holding their horses Mm. and knowing to wait for a tasty reward. Very cool. Yeah. So it kind of seems like this experiment is, we've done that with this species, now let's try it with a different one. Exactly. They had a few reasons to expect that they might see some differences here. Uh, yeah? Yeah. So, uh, again, that's one of the- Number one, octopuses are cooler. Number two- <laughs> Loaded. There is no number two. Right out the gate. Damn. So that's one of the things that I love about this paper is, again, they connect their observations in the lab to the ecological happenstance of the animals that they're studying. So they're in the wild, there are some differences between cuttlefish and octopuses that mm-hmm. can help us make some predictions here. Number one is diet. We don't need to get into why, we don't need to get into how, but octopuses, in addition to eating shrimp and crab and goodness like that, they also eat bivalves. Mussels, mm-hmm. shelly fuckers who sit on shelly, shelly fuckers. fuckers. Yeah. yeah. You pry mm-hmm. them apart. You eat their insides, and then you wear their outsides as a hat. And, and they're okay. They're, they're not the favorite. But they're stationary more yeah. so, right? So if you... Yeah, so you're looking for those. It's going to be totally different foraging than... What do the cuttlefish eat? Crabs, shrimp. Maybe. Oh, they, they're that's their primary maybe diet fish. then? So those are more a little bit more mobile. No, fish, yeah, definitely. If you go to a patch, and you're like, this patch is full of food, and you eat all the food you can. Mm-hmm and eventually there's none left. If you're a cuttlefish, you can be like, well, more will probably come along soon because they got legs and shit. Whereas if you're an octopus and you just ate a bunch of mussels and you're like, well, that's it for the mussels here. Maybe there will be more in like a long ass time because mussels are pretty fucking slow. Your relationship to food and time is going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. This whole line of research is really looking into that and trying to understand how an animal's experiences with its environment will influence its behavior in the lab. Ooh, ooh, 
Ooh, I think I know what's going to happen. What? Is it chaos? Yes, it's chaos! <laughs> How did you know? I, I had a... Yeah, feeling. octopuses owe us nothing, and boy, did they give it to us here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to fly through the methods super quickly. All right, we're going to do two-minute methods. So let me put the timer on and see how it goes. All right. Ready? Begin. So they got seven octopuses. They were subadult. Again, these are common octopuses or octopus vulgaris, vulgar octopuses. They were caught in the Mediterranean. Um, love to talk about wild caught subjects some other time that isn't during two minute methods. Rocky start already. <laughs> uh, they got one male and six females. That seems like not super balanced. That's another thing that we would talk about the, if this weren't two minute methods. So they had some training trials <laughs> where they showed the octopuses what's going to happen. You know, you've um, you've got two pots and a tank. First of all, they had muscles mm-hmm. ad lib all day in Every the tank day. all the time. Muscles. Yep. So they're never hungry. But they could really go for some tasty shit. Because, again, they're from the wild. They're used to a whole wide world. Now they're in a fucking tank. Poor fucks. So, five days a week, they had one trial per day. It's a two-round system. And round one, they get two pots. One with their preferred food, crab. It's crab. They like crab. It's crab. They like crab. One with the less preferred food. Usually some sort of fish. Um, And so they can open and eat both of them. Yay. Um, Then... Uh, after 30 minutes, the pots are removed, and they start round two. How much time do I have left? 39 minutes. Th- Seconds. <laughs> All right, so uh, after one hour, the shitty food pot was refilled. But after two more hours, um, both the shitty food pot and the tasty food pot were refilled. And as soon mm-hmm. as the octopus ate from one of the pots, the other one was removed. It's like, all right, we're done mm-hmm. here. You made your choice. So that's the most important part, is the choice they made in round two. Um, and so after like 40, maybe 80 of those, uh, uh, they did memory trials where they basically did the same thing a little bit, um, and asked which one they would choose in round two. And if you want to know more, you can read it your fucking self. Ding, 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 ding. I did it. Yay. I want someone to go around with a timer for all of my everyday interactions. Oh, cause you're not already on edge, Leah. <laughs> But this would give me an excuse to <laughs> skip things. And nope, yep, nope, you're right. All right. <laughs> so again, their hypothesis was that octopuses would use uh, quote unquote simpler foraging strategies than cuttlefish, who are the masters of time, <laughs> and would patiently wait for the maximally good food option. This reminds me of have you ever heard the term Homo economicus? No, what's that? What a good day. Uh, so it's... <laughs> did you say what a good day? I did. <laughs> because you get to tell me this? Yeah, we both get okay. to enjoy Homo economicus. Also, I'm probably going to butcher it. It's basically the idea that when you're studying decision making, you're making assumptions about what like a good decision is, right? Mm, Especially yeah. in econ studies. It's like, well, obviously you'd prefer to maximize your rewards you'd prefer to get more sooner but you're willing to hold out for more later you have to practice perception taking and you don't always get that right yeah 
people who study theory of mind often kind of fucking suck at it um, <laughs> when it comes to predicting the internal <laughs> states of their fucking participants. I'm just picturing them coming home and the wife being very mad at the researcher and be like, tell me, you tell me why I'm mad. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That happened. I don't want to say all the time, but it happened twice. And that's too many times <laughs> when I was studying mouse social behavior, a stranger would ask me what I, what I did. And I said, I'd study mm-hmm. mouse social behavior and, at that point, he was a stranger, but in both instances, we'd been talking for long enough that yeah. when I said it, I study social behavior, he'd be like, oh, that's funny, because... You suck at social behavior? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twice! No, it's perfect. It's perfect. You're starting at the level of a mouse. You're just going to understand them yeah. first. Yeah. And then you're going to work your way up to dealing with humans. Yeah. It should only take, what, millions of years? It's fine. It's really pointless to my life right now, but I know what mice want. <laughs> I know what mice want. I know what mice need. Really, like, I can put myself, what is it, perspective for a mouse very well, and it does nothing for me. <laughs> nothing at all. One time there was a rat in a place where we didn't want a rat to be, and I felt very capable. <laughs> it's most places for me. Fair, yeah. <laughs> okay. What did you do? It's like, all right, here's what we do. Um, barricaded off all the Heidi escapee routes and just mm-hmm. got it toward the toward the darkness of the big open bay door. Not yep. okay. It wasn't groundbreak. Any old Yahoo would have thought of it. Any, but, but you were really prepared to do it. And well, and specifically of identifying and blocking off all the potential escape routes of like, yeah. oh, that's a tiny little hole. I'm seeing it from his or her point of view. Where would I go if I was a rat? Yeah, let's. let's Let's make the path out the most appealing, dark. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so yes, Homo we? economicus. Um, it's okay. based on assumptions that a human or an animal or a brain will choose like the best thing, you know, mm-hmm. the tastiest food option, the biggest monetary reward. And have you met people? Right! People are dumb. People do things you don't expect. People have, like, whims and shit. And we're supposed to be, like, I guess, oh shit, I just broke my own theory. I was was thinking and, oh, we're supposed to be smart, but our smartness means that we can think of more options. Yeah, chaos. Shot myself and my own petard. (laughs) love that. I think I'm going to use it from now yeah, on. Yeah, that's my favorite. Shot myself, ah, shot myself in my own petard. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to hurt myself patting myself on the back uh, and rub my petard. Um, so yeah, in this study they found that no octopuses did not by and large win the mm. tasty crab waiting game. Do, 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 do. But yeah, maybe they just have wants and needs and whims and tendencies that we're not taking account of because they're fucking octopuses and they do whatever the fuck they want. Except Teddy. For Teddy. Oh, Teddy.
They named the octopuses in this study, and the one that broke all the rules and was the bad boy of the tanks was Teddy. Whoa. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't put two and two together there, because I know that they had one male and six females, and I know that then, but there were at least two male names in there. I didn't think about that. It's incredibly difficult to tell which sex is which. (laughs) I believe it. One of the arms of the male octopus has Mm -hmm. the sex organs on it, but I don't know what that looks like and wouldn't be able to identify or sex an octopus. Very carefully. Yeah, Uh, me neither. We'll add that to the list of things I don't know. So yeah, um, Teddy acted like a cuttlefish. Mm Mm-hmm. He was bigger than all of the other octopuses, which is why the author supposed that he was acting differently, because he had a higher need to eat high caloric things. But you you tell me, you tell you tell everyone what he did. Uh, he learned in only 43 trials, and so he was actually the only one of his group tested in the memory task. That when they were replicating... The- Wait, he learned something, but then he was in the task later? Uh, yep. Yeah, so, two-minute methods, sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and it bites us on our own petard. <laughs> uh, so they did... The cuttlefish learned to eat their preferred food in about 20 of those training trials. So the octopus has mm-hmm. got 40 training trials. Mm-hmm. But... Again, this is why I brought up Homo economicus. The first four octopuses, after those 40 trials, they didn't make the right choices. They didn't go for their preferred food that you would think they would hold out for. Their earlier demonstrated preference for the food was not showing up in their behavior in this task. And so they upped it to 80 trials. Can you imagine explaining that to your graduate student and thus undergrad? Oh, we're just doubling the number of trials you have to run? No big deal. It's adding in like the earlier phase of the thing. It would be different if it was like their final testing. Yeah, Yeah, they're trying to train them up. It's called training up. When you're trying to prepare the animal for the eventual experiment. It's like, oh, it turns out they're dumber than I thought. Don't even know what their favorite food is, idiots. <laughs> Teddy, what did he He actually learned to wait for the favorite food? He, That's what he did, right? Yeah, he behaved the way that you would expect an octopus to behave if you expect them to wait for their favorite food. And he did that in 43 trials, so. And he did that because he had a penis, right? I, I think you must have. yeah. That, I didn't see that explanation written out, but it was inferred. Command F penis. <laughs> I do that in life. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Teddy. Um, Teddy's the hero of this paper, aside from all the other octopuses. They were looking at uh, the various strategies that the octopuses may or may not have used when they're choosing which food pot to take from. And And listeners, we're saving you from a bunch of boring strategies you can use to forage, just so you know. Yeah, if you want to learn the terminology and the framework and the analysis of all that shit, you you can. You can do a lot of things. Um, Fuck you! That's pretty much what the octopus has said. Said the octopus? Yeah. Oh, I was, okay. I was like, all right, yeah, bold move, Amiel. No, you're literally reading from the outline. (laughs) 
pretty much. Yeah, sorry. So it so in summary, what, what Yeah, pretty much what 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 you just said. I'm going to say let's keep that all in and in summary, uh fuck you, say the octopuses are the tentacled <laughs> brains remain inscrutable and we'll eat what we want when you want when we want and if you want to know how, you're going to have to try more. This is when we just, you like peel back a mask and I discover you're an octopus. <laughs> I've been an octopus this whole time! <laughs> we eat what we want. I mean, uh, uh, but the, the, a um, human person wouldn't <laughs> think we... <laughs> I, I, I have a perfectly acceptable number of limbs. This isn't too few. You're sitting in a tank. <laughs> I just can't sit. <laughs> That's why I've been like kind of hovering and crouching this whole time. Not- oh, this is why I like you so much. Oh, because I'm an Aww, octopus. And, and, and yeah, I know that I'll yeah. be respected in your presence. That's yeah. Right. To bring it back to the original research question, how do octopuses keep track of time? We'll just have to do more further fucking study. Maybe they don't need to keep track of fucking time. The thing that I always like to bring up when people are judging intelligence is something that is highly relatable because of our tendency to have pets. And two of the most popular pets are dogs and cats. A lot of humans will proclaim that dogs are smarter given the number of training options that you have for dogs that are not possible with cats. But I ask you, when you see a dog loose on the street... You think, oh, we gotta, we gotta get it. We gotta read its little collar and make sure that it gets home safe. That when you see a cat, you're like, it could take care of its fucking self because that's what cats do on the regular. So who is smarter then, huh? Yeah, yeah. The contrarian in me is like, that cats still get killed by wildlife. PSA: Don't let your ca- indoor cats go outdoors. They're all indoor outdoor cats. Outdoor cats lifespans are seven years, whereas indoor cats double that to fourteen. So if you truly love your animal, keep it indoors. If that animal's a cat, if you truly love your cat, keep it indoors. <laughs> I read the most amazing tweet the other day that I had read previously, but I just recently got reminded by it, which is the tweet says, "My neighbor told me coyotes keep eating his outdoor cats." So I asked how many cats he has, and he said he just goes to the shelter and gets a new cat afterwards. So I said, it sounds like he's just feeding shelter cats to coyotes. And then his daughter started crying. (laughs) That's how she found out her dad is a monster. Just a monster. um... Yes, they can die out there, but they're way better able to find their way back home, to to manage how much time they spend out, and uh, all these sorts of things. Yeah, and I'm very glad you brought up lifespan, uh, Mm -hmm. because it's it's often... Because you're going to (laughs) die. I have come from the vasty deeps with a message. (laughs) We're doing so many good act-outs that you guys don't even know. One reason that people find it okay to underestimate invertebrate intelligence, specifically that of the octopus, is because they don't live that long. You fuck and then you die, pretty much, in that that, uh, group of species. Yeah, yeah. So it's a Because, yeah, there's lots of different types of octopuses, species-wise, but yet I only hear the vulgaris. Like, it's almost as if the the, the other ones are just relegated to subspecies, then? I don't know how that works. I think they're out there living their lives, but it's, um... (laughs) 
<laughs> just different... writing screenplays, falling in love. I mean, eight arms, eight pens. Uh, more, more suckers. I wonder how many. Oh no! What if instead of the infinite monkeys on infinite typewriters, it was infinite octopuses on infinite typewriters? Could they write faster? It's just the same thing, but times eight. So yeah, like what? Okay. So they write. (laughs) 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 Anyway, so So, but their lifespan. Lights that I have. Let's move it on. The the thing is, in that same snippet where someone was saying, "Well." they might not need to be as smart because they don't live as long. And then he proceeded to quote an average lifespan, and it was two to three years. That's rat time. And they do plenty of shit. So yeah, that, that was just a little thing that stuck in my craw. Speaking yeah, jeez, of- yeah. Just this uh, vertebrate bias that we've got going on. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of stuff sticking in our craws, do you have any little light? I do have a low light, and it was nothing that I can really get upset at the authors about, but I did notice some pretty evident framing of their findings. As you were introducing this idea of ecological relevance of intelligences and how foraging behaviors are important when we're measuring these things, uh, I was reminded of how that happened real up front in the intro and then was referenced to and expanded on in the discussion. And I'm like, yeah, you just added all that in later because this is your explanation for your findings. Did did you see that bit in the intro or maybe it was in the abstract where they were saying that octopuses have like fewer pressures on them than cuttlefish? It's like, fuck you, you don't have my life, don't. (laughs) Why? What do you mean they got fewer pressures? You don't know if they're studying for their GED because they had to drop out of high school to raise their younger they're siblings. Under a lo- they've got a lot going on, okay? You don't even know. They're wild animals. How can you say one wild animal isn't as stressed as another one? Yeah. I'm, what the fuck? I'm not going to get the phrasing exactly right, but yeah, it stuck out to me. It's like, mm, yep. Okay, so, I'm right. I'm a dumb dumb like you know yeah sure there are animals that experience less like life or death situations on average than other animals so yeah sure but I don't see any evidence that was proposed to describe why the life of an octopus is laissez faire <laughs> compared to a cuttlefish yeah they're not like lounging around and surrounded by ripe fruit oh, <laughs> maybe it's easier to be an uh, yeah I don't know. I don't know. So, like, that framing, like, you, you have to do that. But it's it was just very after-the-fact added, and I'm like, yep, that's just what I, that's science. That's, that's how, how people talk about up. stuff. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I will get pretty cranky with the authors about is that they quoted another study as finding mm-hmm. that uh, rhesus monkeys cannot distinguish between one-hour and 25-hour delays. Okay. Now, what? If I had prepared, so they didn't pass the same pot test. They, they've, they've got spinal cords and everything. That is more hours, considerably <laughs> more than three. But I mean, now, now, now. Let's not forget how stupid humans can be. I mean, the, the males of our species can't even tell the difference between a woman quietly sitting in public and a streetwalker. Well, one is sitting and one is walking. Makes no difference That's to them. That's the easiest difference. That's very stupid. 
You are correct. Yes. Appearances can be deceiving, and so can octopuses. Yeah, Yeah, if I had, you know, prepared, prepared, I would have looked up that rhesus monkey study and tried to get to the bottom of what exactly the fuck they were trying to say, but I cannot abide the idea that they cannot distinguish between one hour and 25 hours. I just, I, I can't, I can't fit that in my brain. On the next misbehavior journal. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm about to get my mind blown. By how stupid these other animals are. Yeah, potentially. We're going to check it out. We'll get back to you guys on that. So yeah, this was um, basically a wonderful exploration of... Animals fucking up your hypothesis. That's what they do. They got eight tentacles with which to strangle your dreams. And let's head to the next portion of this episode. All right. No Topia Corner. I couldn't come up with a good one except, oh, the octopuses rise against us. Would that be a dystopia or a utopia? Because, like, why not Um, let them have a turn? If they have sex with me, a dystopia. Because then you would die right after. <laughs> I mean, fuck off. Okay. I said, I was saying that to me, not you, but oh, you couldn't sorry. tell who I was saying fuck off to. Um, closing ceremonies? Let's do it. Yay! Closing ceremonies? I've got a nice summer-themed takeaway for everybody, and that is take a kid swimming. Ask the parents for permission first. Ask before you just take a kid, but try to take a kid swimming or encourage people to go swimming with kids and be there so that they can be learning how to swim. It feels really good. It's kind of fun. Uh, I had a fun time with a five-year-old yesterday getting in the pool and having ridiculous adventures with them as they learned to be more confident swimmers and to kick, kick, kick. It's just very important that uh, everyone learns how to swim. You never know when you're going to need it. I mean, you usually have some, (laughs) like, near water, but... I remember I went to an event and I happened to meet a father and he admitted that his 12-year-old daughter didn't know how to swim. And the amount of respect I lost for that man, (laughs) he was like, she doesn't want to. I'm like, I don't care. She doesn't get dinner until she goes to her swim. Like, you are in charge of her, you know? Like That is, yeah. You can make her learn how to swim. I even started brainstorming some great ideas like... Find the hottest lifeguard that is available and ask them if they will teach your daughter to swim. And so she gets to get this hot guy, like, lightly grabbing her torso. Why are you making a face? Because if that were an incentive system for me, I would be mortified to try Uh, anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, proximity breeds breeds connection. Get this hot guy to... Yeah, no, that absolutely works oh, for shit, some Oh, shit, I'm thinking people. about it too much. Okay. <laughs> Mazel. <laughs> Whew. I think I need to learn how to swim. <laughs> What's your takeaway, Leah? Very similar. Are you familiar with Chekhov's gun? Yes. It's the idea that if you see a gun in the first act of a play, then you will have it fired in the third. 
Yeah, just like don't overload your audience with stuff that's not going to come up later. Um, oh, that's the practice if you're writing, uh, not the perspective of the audience. Interesting. I've never looked at it that way before. Oh, today is a day of perspective mind messery. It certainly is. All of our milk is going bad. <laughs> but yeah, I went grocery shopping the other night, as one does, and I took my backpack. My backpack has a bunch of paper towels, because you never... Well, just just like folded up pieces of paper towels. Okay, they come in rolls. So you say a bunch of them, I'm picturing like three <laughs> rolls of paper towels. <laughs> Yeah, you, you want to be prepared. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So you've got like a bunch of squares torn off. Yeah, like folded. Yeah, big folded up. And it's a it's good practice to have one or two, two or three in there. But I've been loading them up and not using them. So like I was taking my wallet out and I was noting while doing the self checkout, like God damn, this is an embarrassing amount of paper towels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is really weird. Maybe I should pare it down. And I also noticed that when I left for the grocery store, I was like, oh, should I leave some of these paper towels at home? Nah, whatever. Who, who cares? So they came to your attention two times. Two times, which is abnormal. And then on my way out of the store, I was shuffling bags around and dropped a bag containing a glass jar of spaghetti sauce. Oh, Near to my sandaled, long-skirted feet. Mm. So lots of splatter. Lots of like, I've got to go back and poke my head inside and say like, Hey, did you, did you want some broken glass outside? But before that, I had to like get all the sauce and glass off of my feet. And you know what's good for that? Rags. I mean, paper towels. Paper goddamn towels. That's not an interesting story. <laughs> But it's a life lesson, which is if you think you have too much of something, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe. I'm reminded of a brother of a significant other. That's a fun way to say it. That had this obsession with being prepared. Mm. And he had a jacket that was pretty much utility focused because of all the different pockets and connections and like things that had options of carrying that he took Love it. full advantage of. One day, he handed me the jacket as he came inside my apartment, and I put it on a coat hanger, which promptly broke <laughs> from the weight of this jacket. So don't go too far the other way. But yeah, sure, have some paper towels around. Or it it sounds like he could have been more prepared. He should have had some little helium balloonlets, like, attached to the jacket Ew, so that it would be prepared boo, to hang. You can boo. fix this. There's no, oh, just get a tank. Yeah, you have this tank of helium that's uh, somehow integrated <laughs> into the jacket. Oh, no. No. Please follow the show on Twitter at MisbehaviorJC and Instagram at the same darn thing. Oh, you can follow me, Curls PhD, or at Trouble Helix with two X's. Take a look at Leah. She talks a bunch. She never mentions the show at Hawks and Socks, and that's Hawks H O X. Thank you for allowing us into your auditory pathway, into your lives, into your brain. Tell your friends and tell your enemies. Just do not tell your PI about the show. Just don't. Just it's not it's not a good idea. Like I know he's bringing up your date on his computer and it's kind of slow and you're sitting there awkwardly, but don't be like, hey, so I started listening to this really cool podcast. They, they Don't tell them. Please subscribe and rate us and listen to the podcast. We hope you join the club again soon.
And, much like an octopus, don't forget to misbehave. Unruly. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, so I was looking up the paper and I used Google instead of Google Scholar. Turns out Unruly Octopus is a game. Yay! I didn't know. <gasps> I want to... I hope it's good. I, you know, like a name like that, maybe you used up all of your imagination beans on <laughs> something that good, but I really hope they save some for the game. Imagination beans, I fucking love it. I know, you love me, baby. All right, let's get done. We're done. We're done now. We did it. That's it. No more.